Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Please visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All righty, thank you very much uh, for staying with us today. We do have a really good show to offer you today. Um, It's a special salmonella broadcast. We'll be talking about the most recent findings and activity with this recent salmonella outbreak uh, that is occurring. And uh, we've got many special guests that will be coming on the show today. Um, We've got Dr. Megan Nichols with the CDC, who um, is, I believe, leading this uh, outbreak. Uh, We'll also have poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae, a PhD. She'll be joining us a little later in the show, really to to talk about um, chickens and salmonella and the science behind that. Uh, We've got a young lady, a mom, who's coming on here about half past the hour uh, that is involved in this outbreak, uh, her eight-month-old child uh, was sickened uh, and is sickened with the salmonella directly related to this uh, outbreak from their baby chicks. We'll talk about that as well. And we've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, who will be joining us uh, when I bring uh, him and Dr. McCray on um, probably about 40 past the hour uh, to talk about, again, the, the, the chicken aspect of the salmonella ways to prevent this, where it may have come from, different things like that. Uh, So we've got different uh, segments that we'll be doing in the show today. 
I want to thank you all for tuning in today uh, for science and fact and, and not hype. Uh, we are not fear-mongering. Uh, we are not making light of something that's not important, uh, regardless of the numbers. Sometimes it is an uphill battle uh, to get folks to understand that this is all about education, um, just to make them aware. The polls show and polls prove that there's an uh, awful lot of backyard chicken keepers, and, and many thousands start every year, and so they're new. Uh, but we've even seen some folks that have kept backyard chickens for some time uh, are just not aware of some of the risks involved. And so instead of just all the time being, hey, feel good and, oh, this is all great and everything, you need to know some of the risks involved, especially if you have uh, children. And so um, that's a part of our job with this, everything, the magazine, the book, the podcast, the spokesperson role uh, is at true education. It would be irresponsible if we just uh, put our rose-colored glasses on and said, oh, everything's fine and there's no risk at all. You don't need to be aware about uh, any of this. <clears throat> So we feel it's very important uh, to, again, to educate, and it's not fear-mongering. Uh, we'll talk about the numbers and what they mean. We'll talk about what constitutes an outbreak and, and how um, we know that it's directly related to, to backyard chickens versus lettuce somebody bought in the store. And all these are very valid questions about a salmonella outbreak. And I believe, and, and, and Dr. Nichols will, will um, correct me on this, this is at, at least – 15 years in a row now where there has been a salmonella outlet directly to uh, hatchery or live, handling live poultry, if you will. So, um, and again, that may contribute to this wonderful movement and the wonderful experience of keeping backyard chickens because it's growing every year. Um, and it often happens after the Easter holiday when people often just go out and, and buy the baby chicks, not really doing a lot of research. They get a Easter basket surprises or for photo ops, and then they're putting the baby chicks uh, with they're, – they're letting their children under five handle them and sleep with them, and they're putting them in the playpen. They're putting them in the pack-and-play. They're napping with them. They're kissing them and hugging them and snuggling them and, and things like that. And they haven't done any more research than, oh, wow, look, today they have chicks at the beach. We'll buy some of these and take them home. Um, and, and so they just don't do the research to know really any better what they need to do. Um, seriously, and I've said this many times, even on tour in my workshops, who would have thought uh, 10 years ago, for example, that the CDC would have had to spend um, – money, last year they had to do this, um, who would have thought 10 years ago they would have had to spend money and, and a big uh, um, public relations kind of campaign, advertising campaign, uh, that was titled, Don't Kiss Your Chickens. I mean, who would have thought that many years ago? So so it's, it's come to this, folks, and, and people who really are not into the backyard poultry uh, arena, the hobby, uh, they don't understand that a lot of us, a lot of you, love your chickens. They are pets. They are not food. We totally get that. You show uh, compassion for them and and um, uh, affection towards them. Uh, and, and and unfortunately, we'll talk about that in the show today. A lot of these outbreaks, when they talk about uh, people admit the ones that are sick, oh, yeah, cuddling and kissing and bringing them inside the house and different things like that. So So we understand that. But the folks that don't have chickens, they don't get it. They're thinking, who are these people? Are there really people today in America that have to be told not to kiss chickens? Really? Um, and, and I guess that's warranted because they don't keep backyard chickens. They don't know the relationship uh, they can have with a family. So um, it's all, I guess it's all relative. But today, it's uh, again, we've done this, I think, every year. 
so it's kind of almost like you know, knowing it like the back of our hand, uh, the questions that we're going to have and share with you. If I have time, I will also open the phone lines uh, so people can ask questions as well. I think that's very important if you have questions uh, to be able to call in and ask those questions. So without further ado, I'm going to go directly to the phone lines and I'm going to bring on Dr. Megan Nichols with the CDC Center for Disease Control and Prevention out of Atlanta. And we're going to talk about, she's going to share a little bit of her background, her education, and her position there at CDC. And then we're going to get right into the current outbreak uh, and, and what the outbreak is showing, who's involved, how many states, um, how many sickened at this point, and anything related to that. That's going to be uh, uh, Dr. Nichols' job for uh, today's show. So, Megan, thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Very nice to be with you today. Yes, it's nice to have you on uh, again. I wish it was under different circumstances, but it's always fun twice a year to come down there to uh, CDC headquarters and do our education webinar we do twice a year. Looking forward to this fall, uh, seeing you in person again down there. And I, I know that probably about four to six weeks after Easter, I reached out to you um, knowing that for the last 14 years or so, there's been an outbreak saying, you know, hey, you know, I haven't heard anything. This may be a good thing. First year in over a decade, what's going on? And, and you were out the, uh, very busy uh, dealing with this. And then, of course, last week, uh, we've got the, we got the notice regarding the outbreak. I think it was released Thursday. And so we thank you very much for coming on, on today. So... I guess tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience with salmonella, uh, and your position with CDC, then we'll get into the specifics with the outbreak. Absolutely. So my name again is Megan Nichols, and I'm a veterinarian here at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And the focus of my job and the team that I work on is actually to, to investigate outbreaks of salmonella and E. coli that are linked to contact with animals. So um, salmonella outbreaks linked to contact with live poultry falls under that. And I've been here now for, for two years. And um, it's truly something that I am, I am passionate about and really hope to continue to prevent illnesses. So it's something that's very important to us. And, and you're there, your title is the Zoonoses Team Lead. So you're, you're kind of the, the Mac Daddy when it comes to at least this outbreak. Uh, is that a safe assumption that you are, you are it? <laughs> yes. You know, we, we say that our team is small but, but mighty. So there's just a few of us on the enteric zoonoses team that work on these outbreaks. And that's why we rely on folks just like yourself, Andy, to really help us get the word out about this risk and ways that people can prevent themselves from becoming ill. Exactly. I like the term that y'all use a lot called disease detectives. And, and that's really what it is, whether it be on the science part are the interview part, trying to figure out and track these. And, and we'll get into that as well because people ask, how do I know that, oh, it could be from lettuce. How do we really know it's from their chickens? And, and we know they're, they're, it's the science there, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, the outbreak itself, how many sick and how many states. Um, and uh, if we know at this point, which we may, I know you still may be doing tracebacks, um, and I know there's some date debate whether this year that the hatcheries will be named. I think last year was the very first year ever that hatcheries weren't named. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and and um, maybe this year they may or may not be, or if we know hatcheries yet, or if we know that decision yet. But talk about the specifics of this outbreak as far as number of still um, and states and, and maybe the number of different um, strains of salmon, salmonella that are related to this outbreak. 
So this year, CDC is collaborating with our partners at the state health departments and state agriculture departments and the USDA Department of Agriculture to investigate seven separate multi-state outbreaks of human salmonella infections that are linked to contact with live poultry. So in these seven outbreaks, there are 324 people who have been infected with what we refer to as our outbreak strains of salmonella. And these people who got sick reside in the U.S. in 35 different states. So looking at the people who got sick, the illnesses started around January 4th, 2016, and we are continuing to see illnesses reported to us on a daily basis. And one of the things that we noticed in this outbreak that was of concern is that there were 66 people who got sick and were hospitalized. Um, salmonella infection often results in hospitalization, especially in persons who are under the age of five, who have a weakened immune system, or who are older. And that's one of the reasons that we target a lot of our prevention messages directly at, at those folks. Um, also, we are, as you mentioned, doing traceback to try and figure out if there is a common source. Um, so when we find a person who gets sick, as you mentioned, there are interviews that are conducted by our health partners in different states to try and find out a little bit more about what people did in the seven to 10 days before they got sick. So was there a particular food they ate or a venue that they attended? Um, and in this case, we did find out that the people involved in these outbreaks all had exposure to live poultry. And once we find that out, we ask a little bit more about where they purchased their live poultry. And we're working on seeing if there are particular hatcheries or um, other areas that are, are common to all these people who got sick. Okay. And um, in, in the results, it talked about there was one death, but in, in, in the fine print, it says the death wasn't directly, directly related to the, the salmonella. And so um, some, some folks had made the comment in, in some forums that why is that important or why is that even listed? If, if that person had salmonella, then they can be a part of the 300-some-odd folks. But, but if the death wasn't related at all to the salmonella, why does that end up being listed on the report? I think that's a great question, and I appreciate the, um, the listeners who bring those questions to our attention. And so it's our practice here at CDC to report any sick person who is linked to the outbreak and meets what we call our, our case definition, or how we uh, define who is included in an outbreak. And in this case, you know, local and local health departments and state health departments actually determine um, if a person who got sick meets this definition. And then also we look at outcomes, which means whether or not people died. And in this case, we felt that it was important to point out that, yes, this person was part of the outbreak. Um, they did have a, a more severe outcome of death. However, their death was not necessarily directly uh, caused by their salmonella infection. And so we felt that in the interest of transparency, we wanted to point out that the person was part of the outbreak, um, they did have this severe outcome, and it was not resulting from salmonella. However, it's important to note that in the past, in some of the outbreaks, we have had deaths that were related to salmonella. And so it's really important for people to practice good hand washing and other prevention measures that can prevent them from getting sick in the first place. Exactly. I know last year we interviewed a family 
that um, almost became a statistic because of their young son who um, received the salmonella. And it was a fascinating interview with the family. And many days in ICU, literally the family was planning their son's funeral. And then finally the doctors ran some tests, figured out maybe what was wrong, and, and, and wow, the, uh, a recovery took place. So thank goodness. Uh, that's a fascinating interview people can listen to in the archives uh, last year. So there is, uh, my understanding, uh, doing this year after year, uh, for the folks that say, well, how do we know it wasn't just lettuce or tomatoes or grapes or whatever? How do we know it was And do, through the detective process and asking questions? But there's also a DNA of sorts that, uh, based on this different strains of salmonella, that can really be tracked back to the birds, maybe at the hatchery, for example. That's correct. So one of the things that we look at with all of our outbreaks are what we call our, our legs of evidence. So we interview sick people to try and see if they have something in common. Um, we look at the environmental exposures. So was there a particular thing that they were exposed to? And then to try and confirm that, we'll oftentimes do laboratory testing. So in these cases, the people who got sick were tested by their doctors for salmonella. And when you look at the salmonella that came out of the sick people, and then you look at baby poultry that were tested by some of our state partners and the type of salmonella that was found in them, and you do a DNA comparison, or you actually what we get what we call a, a fingerprint out of that, the fingerprint is identical. And so that's something that really helps us, um, and we interpret that in the context of our other evidence, but it's something that really will help us try and determine um, a linkage between illness and a particular source. So in this case, some of our colleagues at the uh, in Michigan actually helped with um, testing to try and confirm um, our suspicion that these outbreaks were linked to uh, live poultry. Okay. The, um, there's also another number because, and, and we're kind of going to go into the segue into folks that, uh, and, and every year it happens, uh, well, there's only 325 people. My chances of getting hit by a bus are greater than that. doesn't reduce the risks any. You can, you can justify it however you want. But I know that scientists in the, at the CDC and other places, I'm sure, uh, they have a, a number and, and I don't remember exactly what it was. Nine popped out in my head. Nine times, y'all feel based on previous research over decades that there will be some cases that are not reported. Maybe the case wasn't severe enough to go to the doctor to be hospitalized, and they just deal with it. They think, oh, I must have ate some bad Chinese, and so I, I, you know, I'm sick for a few days. That are not reported, and and that's uh, times so so 300 and. 20 some odd times this number, and you can explain that uh, of what the real number may be based on folks that get this and they're not that, that don't get reported. Is it times nine, times seven? There's a, there's a number there that I'm missing. <laughs> Andy, that's correct. We know that the number of people that we report who have been impacted in these outbreaks is an underestimate, and the reason for that is some people who get sick. They never see their doctor. They never seek health care. Um, therefore, they're never tested. Some people who are tested are not necessarily reported as part of the outbreak to a local health department. And then 
those that we have listed are actually reported and tested. So you can see that there's many layers that a person would have to go through in order to end up in this, this number. And so when we look at the underestimate, um, we believe that for every one person who is reported um, to be ill from salmonella and linked to this outbreak, there are about 30 others who are not reported. So our number here that was reported to us is 324, and if you multiply that by, th by 30, you get about 9,700. So that's almost 10,000 people who are impacted by salmonella that's linked to live poultry. Um, it's just many of those are not necessarily reported to us. So really, this is a, a cause for concern. The other thing is that, and I'm sure some of your other guests will highlight this, is that having salmonella infection is not necessarily a, a minor event. For some people, it can be very, very severe and result in hospitalization. And that's why prevention is, is so important. And there's a lot of things people can do to try and prevent becoming ill in the first place. Yeah, we're definitely going to touch on those um, before we let you go here in, in a few minutes. Um, so, uh, again, it's uh, people just initially look at that small number and think, oh, you know, this is not going to stop me from kissing my chickens or this. You know, I've kissed my chickens for 10 years. I've never been sick. And, and, and that, that, that just proves that they're lucky, not that the risk isn't there. And um, so I wanted you to share that with, with the number uh, of what we feel the real number may be, because people just look at that confirmed number and think, well, that's nothing to be uh, nothing to be concerned with. So, and we won't dwell on this much at all. I know we had talked about it. I think last year was the first year um, that I can remember that hatcheries weren't specifically named. That may change this year. Um, this just was released really Friday, so it's still very new. Um, have we? Uh, come to the conclusion yet to know if we're going to release hatchery names or not, um, or have some been identified or not, or can you even share that information yet? <laughs> At this point, the investigation is still ongoing, and we're still working to see if we can identify hatcheries that were involved. However, one thing I do want to highlight is that regardless of um, where the live poultry are obtained and what hatchery they come from, they can shed salmonella and they can carry it in their, on their feathers and in areas where they live in Rome and in their feces. And that's why it's so important to practice hand washing and um, a lot of the other prevention messages, which I know we'll, we'll get to, um, because this is something that, that can be prevented. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be uh, we'll be talking about that because that is very very important. Wanted to, to focus on that, and I'll keep all the fans and guests uh, updated on uh, the specific hatcheries if that comes to light and, and comes into uh, to play. Because most every year, I think you know, in 30 more days there'll be an update to this, and the number may increase. And as the, the investigation actually uh, uh, continues, so I think. Do I remember correctly? Because I don't have it right in front of me. There were seven different strains of salmonella um, regarding this outbreak at this point. That's correct. When we've investigated, we examined the different strains of salmonella that have affected the ill people. And in this particular outbreak, we have noted that there are seven different strains. And if anyone is interested in looking at those a little bit more closely, they can go to our website at www.cdc.gov. And in addition to the 2016 outbreak, there's information all going back all the way to 2010. So you can look at historical outbreaks in addition to the one that's ongoing. 
Okay. And um, tell, I know this is a big deal because it always gets brought up. You and I have discussed it. We've talked about it um, on uh, the fact or chicken poop page, but for those who may not be familiar with that, uh, I encourage you to go visit fact or chicken poop dot com. It's become very popular uh, amongst the backyard chicken folks. But so many times we hear comments. Uh, I mean, some to me seem to go to the extreme, like, well, we just need to get our kids outside because then if they had a, a healthier immune system, they're not going to get salmonella. Or you know, hey, we need to start changing our diet, and I'm not challenging the importance of a good um, immune system. I think everybody's, nobody's challenging that. Everybody agrees having a great immune system is an awesome thing, um, I, but I'm not a scientist or a medical doctor, so um, for a, a reply to some of the folks on these uh, blogs and forums that say, well, these folks getting sick just must uh, not have a good healthy immune system or if you have a good healthy immune system you're not going to get this or if I get salmonella then that may be a good thing because then I'll be immune to it and I won't get it again and and, and I even know that there's over 2,000 different strains of salmonella so if you get one you still have over 2,000 strains you could still get ill with uh, because you haven't built immunity to those but um, uh, your end as, as uh, being uh, again, knee deep in this all the time. Well, kind of, how do you reply to that when when they're like, "Oh, we, we just they must have a bad immune system," or if if more people had a better immune system, they would not get salmonella. Mm-hmm. Well, getting an infection with salmonella doesn't necessarily mean that you'll never get an infection with salmonella again. There might be some immunity that a person gets after infection with this germ, but it's not necessarily going to be effective, especially if you receive a high dose of the germ, and this immunity is not going to last your whole life. And as you mentioned, there are many different types of salmonella that can make you sick, so you might not get infected with the same type. And in terms of persons with weakened immune system, and those that are younger than the age of five or older than 65, they're at risk for serious infection. So especially in those groups, we don't necessarily recommend that they have direct contact with live poultry because of this potential risk to their health. So I would I would say definitely refer back to the fact or, or chicken poop. I believe this question came up back in October of 2015. And I, I um, I think it's it's very good that you bring up this issue. So more than anything, I think um, immunity and and um, issues around immunity are important to recognize. Really, we can, we encourage folks though to wash their hands and to um, not house live poultry inside, and then not have um, exposure such as kissing, cuddling, or snuggling. And I think those are all really simple things that people can do to help promote health and avoid infection with salmonella. Yeah, and I think it's important to let people know because so many people, oh, it'll just be a, a, a bad stomach flu for a few days. And, yeah, that's there's no guarantee. That's n- not the case for a lot of these folks that are in the hospital uh, as well. So, And, and I've, only, I've got about five more minutes with you, and, and that's it, I understand. But um, So we'll, get, we'll really cover the prevention here in just a minute. But uh, this question I wanted to ask, too, what, what defines, at least for the CDC in this outbreak, what defines an outbreak? I mean, so you've got a number of, you know, 300 and something, I guess, confirmed. We feel that it may be closer to, I think you said 9,000. But what, at what point, what number, what um, 
uh, clues uh, would deem that this can use the, the terminology outbreak. Because that's another thing. Really, 300 people, I, I, I wouldn't personally consider that an outbreak. We've heard that on the blogs and forums. So what criteria means outbreak in this situation? Ah, in this case, an outbreak is when two or more unrelated individuals become sick with the same germ or same type of, of illness, in this case it's salmonella, that results from a common source. So when I see a person who gets sick in California and another person who gets sick in New York and both have the same type of salmonella, so this goes back to that same genetic fingerprint, and those people are um, impacted around the same time and have the same source of exposure, in this case live poultry, I think we can confidently say that we're starting to see the beginnings of an outbreak. So that's um, some of the criteria that we use here. And fortunately, we do also have a lot of um, technology, such as the laboratory testing, that really helps us determine that. And then ultimately, when we see those same strains of salmonella, not only in the people, but also in the poultry, I think that really helps us to confirm what we're seeing. Okay, now let's get on to definitely sharing how to prevent this and lead in with this. Um, I think I had sent you an email over regarding uh, this question. Just even me, uh, after years of, of sharing this information and going through these outbreaks um, with both USDA and CDC, uh, I know in a lot of webinars and, and a lot of uh, videos and, and information booklets we talk about, you know, have hand sanitizer out by the poop and on, on the run and even inside, and maybe that's kind of a, uh, this will be until you can get to good hand a good hand washing station with, with hot water and soap and wash your hands really good. But, but I saw and read on several what I would deem reliable, even governmental sources, that the, the hand sanitizers today that you buy at the drugstore, the little pump you put by the sink, uh, may be about 60% alcohol, and those are really ineffective against um, uh, salmonella, at least, you know, to, to name one, uh, E. coli, I think, was named in there as well, so uh, we, we still utilize that, maybe by saying it's better than nothing, or hey, that's until you can get back to the house uh, and truly wash your hands with lots of soap, lots of water, thoroughly wash them, which at, at the end of the day, I think, is the best thing. Uh, do you have any uh, um, comments on, on that, because this, this was new for me. You know how long you and I have been working together and, and how much we pushed this, and then most recently it came to light that, that for, regarding salmonella and E. coli maybe, that's not just a, a one-time fix-all and, and you're done and don't have to do a good hand washing. Well, we consider hand washing with soap and water after touching or feeding live poultry or being in the area where they live in Rome to really be the gold standard. That's the best way to prevent um, these germs, especially if your hands are visibly soiled. However, if you don't directly have access to the, the running water and the soap, um, you can use hand sanitizer until you have the opportunity to wash your hands. However, we do believe that hand washing is one of the best ways to prevent this type of illness. And you know, for those folks who are often working in chicken coops, they, they know that your hands and your clothes can oftentimes be visibly soiled. And we'll talk to uh, Dr. McRae and, and Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, a little bit about how, and, and you, you as well, with, with your extensive knowledge with this. But, uh, again, continuing on with prevention, and, and I promise I'll let you go, you know, not um, 
again, the ch- being having the chicks or chickens inside and letting your kids sleep with them and hang out in the playpen and in the bed and, and, and you know, different things like that, walking around on the kitchen floor, up on the kitchen counter, um, and, and different things like that, but taking caution when you're cleaning out the brooder because we know that the salmonella can attach itself to dust. Over the last couple of years, that has been has really come out on the show and in our magazine, and uh, and then dust particles travel, and they still have the, you know, think about our chicken keepers. Where is the chicken poop? Well, it's everywhere. It's on all sorts of things, the roost and the nesting boxes and the floor and the bedding and outside in the yard and, so, and that type of thing. So so we um, share with us some of the things uh, and, and how, to, how people can get to the CDC website to, again, uh, read these a little bit more in detail, some things you recommend to try to prevent this from happening in their family. And then we'll wrap it up. Well, thanks for the opportunity again, because I think this is by far the most important message. So absolutely, washing your hands thoroughly with warm, um, with water and soap after touching or handling live poultry. And don't let live poultry into your home, especially in areas where you keep or prepare food. This is something that's really, really important. And then live poultry might not be the best pet or the best animal to have in households with children who are younger than the age of five, older adults, or people who have weak immune systems. And then last of all, and regardless of where they are purchased, live poultry and the salmonella that comes with them can make people sick. So it's important to have this awareness and to take these prevention measures. We do believe that owning live poultry can be an enjoyable, rewarding, and educational experience. We just know that there are certain things that you should do to prevent illness. And that's our bottom line here at CDC. You can find more of these messages at www.cdc.gov. That's awesome. And um, also, and I'll mention this because I know CDC and USDA APIS was involved in this. Uh, last year, I think, was the first year uh, that there's a brand-new program for hatcheries to participate in within MPIP, National Poultry Improvement Plan, called Salmonella Monitored. And this is not just the Salmonella pylorum uh, that they come out and test for for a lot of the smaller backyard flocks, but this is a, a really a out um, of lack of a better term, uh, testing on steroids, if you will. But they, they test, I think, five times a month. We've had MPIP on it to talk about this, um, specifically for strains that can affect humans. So I think also I'll add, if you go to buy from a hatchery, I think it's important to, uh, and there's no um, perfect or a pill or shot for to solve all of this. Again, prevention is key, uh, but to ask the hatchery before you purchase, do you participate in the salmonella monitored program. If they come back and say, oh, yeah, salmonella form, we get tested. No, salmonella monitored program where you actually test extensively throughout the month for uh, strains of salmonella that can affect humans. So I'll add that on there as well. It could maybe be an early step of trying to prevent this from even coming in your house um, and to add to all the other preventions. So, uh, Megan, uh, Dr. Nichols, thank you very much for coming on and uh, always be willing to always You're always willing to come on and talk about this and, and educate folks whenever there's an outbreak, and I do appreciate you coming on again this time, and I'm sure you'll keep me up to date uh, next month when another release and maybe the numbers get higher, maybe as we start identifying some hatcheries, if that information is released, uh, we can do that. And, and help you get the word out. So thank you very much for coming on. If there's any last bit of information um, that you would like to share that we didn't get to, you can do that now as well. Andy, I just want to say thank you so much to you and to your listeners. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here on the show today. 
and to um, speak with such a great group of folks. Great. Thank you very, very much. That's Dr. Megan Nichols, uh, Zoonosis Team Lead uh, at the CDC, who is, uh, you know, um, how, how do we? Probably not real accurate, but she is the man when it comes to this outbreak, salmonella outbreaks related to um, backyard poultry, and uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful person and doctor. It's great when she's on the show, working with her, doing the live webinars down at CDC. Loving uh, having her as an asset to come on the show. So thank her very much. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to be welcoming uh, Linda uh, Spar. And uh, I think it's very important to, to attach uh, a human. Instead of just having a poster with numbers on it, uh, we've started last year was the first year uh, inviting folks that are, are experiencing this um, or have experienced this right now to, to have a human touch to it. So, uh, you know, for the folks that uh, even last year when we in, interviewed the Gabriel family, uh, they had kept chickens for this, that this was not their first rodeo. And they made statements like, I thought we were doing everything correctly. We were following all the rules we were doing, and then, and then it happened to us. So I think uh, a lot of people get satisfaction by posting on these forums. Oh, this can be all summed up with just wash your hands and, um, you know, don't kiss your chickens. And, and that's a big step. Like Dr. Uh, Nichols said, prevention is key, probably the most important thing. Uh, but then again, that's, uh, you know, it, and then I think um, Linda's going to share with that as well. She, uh, her, into her, right after this commercial break, eight-month-old um, has, uh, was diagnosed with, with the salmonella directly linked, uh, not to lettuce or anything, but in this outbreak to the baby chicks. They have baby chicks. She talked about cleaning out the brooder, and she wants to educate folks too to say, we thought we were doing everything right, and, and my, my eight-month-old hasn't you know, handled the chicks. We're going to let her tell us in her words uh, right after the short break, so, so stay with us. And then after um, Linda comes on, we will have Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, and um, uh, Dr. Bridget McCray come on and we'll talk about where is this coming from, how, to, how, to, how are they, you know, I order chicks, they come from the hatchery to my house, where in the mail or where in this box, could they have gotten this, and, and uh, you know, did it, a lot of technical issue about maybe the risk and how they shed it and when they don't shed it and when they shed it and all of that. So please stay with us. There's more to come on this really uh, important, special uh, salmonella broadcast uh, on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website 
CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chicken stew, turkey stew, ducks to peacock. Nothing to lose, so start today. Not a major water, the easy way. Learn more now, you can't go wrong. Chickenfountain.com. Just a cap full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. And uh, again, a special Salmonella Outbreak episode we're, we're having today. Let me go to the phone lines right now, and we're going to bring on Linda uh, Spar, and she's going to be telling us uh, really about her experience uh, with this particular outbreak and her family. And, and really, again, I think it's important to um, offer some real people instead of, again, just looking at a poster and seeing maybe the small number of 325 people. If you were a part of that 325 people, then uh, that's you know, it's important to you. Um, if you're not, I can see how you might have thick skin towards that. But we already heard from uh, Dr. Megan Nichols about the number, real number, maybe up in the thousands. So, um, Linda, thank you very much for joining us today. We do appreciate it. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. So, uh, um, my heart goes out to you and your child that you're having to experience this. It's obviously not pleasant and not fun, and maybe I've come to a shock. So, uh, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just kind of tell us. I'll have some questions as well, but um, uh, kind of walk us through this story. When when you ordered the chicks, and and how long have they been in the house, and then what signs and symptoms did you see before you, and it may not be pretty, uh, before you took them to the doctor, and then the process of identifying and, and what it was, and maybe the interview with the state health department to identify, like, uh, the disease detectives, uh, that, yes, this is salmonella, and we've done this fingerprint, this DNA, it was these baby chicks you have, and, and uh, the, the million-dollar question was that um, before uh, are these your first chicks, your first experience? And before this even happened, were you even aware that this could be uh, an issue? So start really kind of when you all decided to order these chicks and how long you've had them. And, and I'll ask questions along the way, which I think a lot of our listeners may want to know. Okay, yeah, um, it is not our first time with chickens. We've had egg layers before, but this is our first time with meat chickens. And okay. um Pretty much, we had them and thought everything was fine. Uh, my son had never been around them. I thought I was being thorough by always scrubbing my hands afterwards, like scrubbing my arms all the way up to my elbows. 
before I was around him, and he so he never really had contact with them. And then mm-hmm. one morning he just woke up with a really high fever and diarrhea, and it lasted a couple of days, and then the fever went away. And so I called the doctor just to make sure because his diarrhea wasn't going away, and then blood got within his stool, which is very uh-huh. alarming to open up a diaper and see that. Uh-huh. And so we did we did a fecal test and determined that it was salmonella. Um, the only way that he could have possibly gotten it was, I believe, I cleaned out the brooder, and I don't think I immediately changed my clothes. And somehow that is how he contacted it. And, okay. Um, so we got antibiotics. How, long, fine. But, how long from the time you had the chicks to your home before he started showing symptoms, roughly? Um, two weeks. Okay, so two we weeks. So, uh, yeah. And Megan was talking about uh, that seven days, seven to ten days after the fact, what that they had come in contact with to try to determine. Well, he, he, he did probably contact. Uh, came in contact with the salmonella less than two weeks before that because it, I believe it's like 72 hours before um, he showed symptoms would he have contracted the salmonella. And he doesn't eat food. He's breastfed, so it can't be something he ate. And um, then the Ohio Health Department, they called me and we talked about it. And then she said that, oh, my county would, and they did. And I asked them to come out and test our chickens. And so they did. And they confirmed that, yes, the chickens do have salmonella. Um, I haven't received the results back of the specific strand. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. common sense kind of that is, is, is how he got the salmonella. Right, right. And if, it wasn't, so you've if had... we didn't have a young son, if we didn't have such a young son, we would have never known that our chickens had salmonella. Because my husband and I never got sick. But because his immune system right. isn't as great as ours, <laughs> Mm-hmm. That is how he got it. Absolutely. And um, so we're going to ask this question as well. So you you are, uh, for lack of a better term, experienced chicken owners. You've had layers before. You may still have layers. Uh, this mm-hmm. is your first trial, the, the meat birds. So I, I'll ask this question, um, and we love, again, honesty is the best policy, because the polls do show that even experience, a lot of experienced chicken keepers either have never even heard about it or seen or, or the, the risks involved. Or I, I never knew this issue. So before, here, here you are, already have chickens, have had experience with that first uh, issue with the salmonella. Unfortunately, it was your eight-month-old son. Did Were you one to say, oh, well, I've, you know, I've, I've had chickens for years and well, I've never had salmonella or we do this practice or that practice and we've never had salmonella. And then all of a sudden, well, now we do. But, and as you said, you know, we thought we were doing everything right. So before this happened, uh, did the fact that it was from the chickens surprise you? Like really from our chickens, but we've had chickens all along and we've been okay. What was your, really your first thought? Did you know that this could happen or, or, or expected it or just wasn't never really crossed your mind just to let our other listeners know uh, that you're probably just like them in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually really never put any thought into it when we had our egg layers because we had them before he was born and just never really crossed my I wasn't really concerned with it. And then when I ordered these birds, I was. That's why I, I thought I was being extra careful because I didn't want him to have salmonella. And so I feel like I was being extra careful, and I still happened that – one day, I guess I wasn't as careful as I normally was, and it hasn't. 
I mean, I still like chickens. I'm still going to get chickens. I'm just going to be extra careful. I just, I don't think that you should have young kids around your chickens necessarily because it can happen to you. Your their immune systems are not as great as your immune system. Yeah, since uh, obviously with the CDC, children under five, uh, weakened immune system, people with weakened immune systems, and, and of course the, the the elderly as well. So we we got antibiotics on board with your your young son, and uh, yes. it, it solved the problem at the end of the day, and, and he's going to make a full recovery, which is uh, a blessing. Yes, thankfully it was a, a mild case, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm super thankful for that. But it can still happen, and it still wasn't a very pleasant experience. And it does make you feel feel bad that somehow you got these chickens and infected your own son, kind of thing. Yeah, and it I, can happen I don't know even when you're being careful. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Um, Dr. Nichols talked about um, getting a large dose uh, in, ingested or, or in versus a smash. And I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Maybe because you were so diligent in doing your good washing and, and things that he, because of that, he didn't get a large dose of the salmonella bacteria uh, because you were doing what you thought and uh, doing a good job, as you, you know, said, um, washing and yeah. cleaning and making that he wasn't around it. So if you weren't, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I just know that she talked about sometimes you can get a large dose and not, based, and then your immune system can help with that depending on what size dose you're you're infected with. And maybe there are different strains as well. Some strains maybe wreak more havoc uh, in, yes, in our systems. Maybe. So, uh, but yes. yeah, I'm no scientist. But um, wow, yeah, I always... Uh, to try to have the human aspect of it just because uh, it's, it's one thing to look at a number, and if the number is relatively low, you kind of just shrug your shoulders. But to have somebody, uh, I think, uh, and I, I, I um, applaud you for, for coming on the show so others can listen and say, yes, this you. can happen to you. You've already had chickens, you, you you know, and then you were doing everything you were supposed to do, and then this happened, and thank goodness uh, it was a quote-unquote mild case and the antibiotics, recovery, that type of thing, and then a learning process. So you're not going to get rid of your chickens. No one is saying to get nope. rid of your chickens. No one's saying, oh, we're going to ban chickens or use this to ban chickens or any of that nonsense. Um, it's and I'm already, planning on getting, I'm already planning Some, on getting more chickens, and so it's not like it's – you just have to be careful. And they – and lots of people say it's oh it must be the chicken owner not as clean but I mm-hmm. I would consider myself a very clean person and so it's not mm-hmm. the case like they came from the hatchery that way um, right right it just it can happen absolutely um, Linda thank you very much for coming on sharing your story I think it's a huge part of the program and a huge uh, an important link to let people know again from just looking at a poster or something from a governmental agency uh, to hear somebody especially I think this is the first time we've had somebody in the current outbreak we've had folks on before with oh yeah last year uh, it affected me but this year being so recent uh, very fortunate to, to have found you and then have you come on and, and share your story so thank you very yeah. much for doing that and we wish you best of luck and uh, hope your son again full recovery and one day enjoys uh, hanging out and taking care <laughs> of the chickens <laughs> yes thank you for having me thanks for joining us um, already yeah again I said it ten times I think this is a very important aspect of this uh, because I've seen it over the years where people look at this uh, pamphlet or this poster from CDC and then all of a sudden they they oh they see a low number or they oh that'll never happen to me or I've, I've had chickens before I know what I'm doing and to have uh, Linda come on and share her story I think it is it, it is makes it more uh, human 
than just seeing a poster with a number on it. And uh, the interview last year was just uh, phenomenal uh, with the young family. And that was a unique story as well because um, in in, uh, the case, I think, with Linda, it was probably more um, somehow he got the salmon on his hands, put hands in his mouth. We know how eight months old. I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, w- with the um, the family last year, uh, they deemed that he got infected with the salmonella through a cut, either on his feet, his legs, his hands, while taking care of the chickens, changing out the water, changing out the feeder, cleaning out the coop, had a cut, a hangnail on his hand or his feet or a cut on his leg, and the salmonella bacteria got directly in the cut, which then got directly in the bloodstream. So in his case, maybe even washing hands and being everything, you know, uh, all these things were mentioned. In, in his case, you know, cleaning out that water, having it splash over on it, a cut on his leg and being infected that way, the hand washing, um, of course, benefits all the time, but just a different uh, infection route. So uh, it shows folks that also say, oh, just wash your hands and don't get your chickens, you'll be fine. Not so much all the time, even though, again, the numbers are low. Uh, we still want to educate the folks uh, with the risk. So now we're going to change gears a little bit, and I'm going to bring on two really good friends that have been coming on the show for literally years. Um, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. I'm also going to bring on Dr. Uh, Bridget McRae, PhD, poultry scientist, uh, poultry science professor, Delaware State University. And we're going to talk about the, the chicken aspects of this, okay? Not, not necessarily the human aspect and the infection, that type of thing, but uh, the, the chicken aspect. Like, um, uh, how do these baby chicks, again, they go from the, the egg to the hatcher to the tray to the conveyor belt to the box and then to their home. Where where in that area did, did they receive the, the salmonella? Let's go back a little bit. Uh, the parent stock that may have laid the eggs, um, the, the hen, and uh, and it's in the egg, and then it transferred to the uh, to the chick and whatnot. Hang on just a second. I heard a uh, something in my headset. I just want to make sure I was still live. Uh, so so and, and then again, do they shred uh, shed this all the time? And and they don't. We know that they'll shred it. A shed salmonella today and maybe not tomorrow, so it's not all the time. So even tests for salmonella really aren't um, uh, warranted for, for backyard keepers because the day you test, they may not be shedding it. It's really, it kind of opens up a can of worms, if you will. So let me go straight to the phone lines, and um, we'll uh, bring on a both live now. Uh, Peter Brown, thanks for joining us today. We do appreciate it. Hey, Andy. Hey. And uh, Dr. McRae uh, uh, from from Delaware State University. Dr. McRae, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Andy. Great. And so, y'all, because we're all on together, you you may over-talk to each other. If there's a specific question I'll ask, but if not, it's kind of just open forum here. Um, Would both of you uh, probably agree that, uh, in in Linda's case, for example, uh, these chicks, uh, that and, and again, this is not an, a, uh, these folks in this um, outbreak. It's not like they're eating contaminated eggs or not cooking them well enough. The, the, this outbreak is handling live poultry, the baby chicks. I think probably in most of all the cases from these mail order hatcheries. Uh, both of you, um, Peter and Richard, agree that this is coming from the uh, the breeder stock, the parent stock, and that's how it's it's being passed to these baby chicks. More than likely, I mean, I, I I'm not there, so I don't I don't know, but 
Um, right, right. I want to go back to, to uh, I think it was uh, year before last, when you uh-huh. had, uh, there was a particular hatchery involved, and they had a representative get on here, and he was a, 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 an expert in the in the field. Um, and if you'll remember, he kept saying, it's not a big deal. This will die out. It's on the outside of the chick, blah, blah, blah. And um, I, I disagreed with that then. I disagree with it now. Um, and that trying to tell people at that point that you can wash your hands and this is going to be all hunky-dory, I don't think it it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And um, from my own perspective, uh, having grandchildren and uh, of all ages, uh, from teenagers down to toddlers, uh, they all put their fingers in their nose, their ears, their mouth on any given occasion without even thought. Um, yep. And washing their hands, God knows where their hands may have been before they put them there. You know, you know I, I'm very observant when I, uh, I look around. Actually, I become a pain in the neck sometimes because of the, of the way I, I observe things versus other people. And um, I just see it. I can tell you if your waitress has put her fingers to her nose, which most of them do if you observe them out at any point in time. Somebody waiting on you uh, in a restaurant to, to pay your money, first thing you know, um, while they're waiting on you, they've got the side of their hand going across their nostril. Uh, it doesn't appear to be a big deal until they handle your food. Uh, so uh, being clean is one thing, and, and you know, I don't doubt the, uh, the, the young lady that was just speaking. I'm sure she's, uh, she's clean, but I'm not sure that that's just any kind of answer. And that's always been, from my perspective, what the CDC was saying before, don't kiss and wash your hands. I don't think it works. And I think this is... Evidence of it. What do you say, Bridget? Do you, do you probably see it as much as I do? I have made the similar observations that you've, you've made, Peter. And my question, being scientist, my brain goes a slightly different route, and is trace it back. Easy enough to do. You go swab and, and get those samples, which they already have on file, for the young man and for the chickens. And I'd, I'd say, great. You know, they may be both, I don't know, did they did they say what kind of salmonella it was, Andy? Was it salmonella Kentucky or Heidelberg? Or? Uh, there's, there's seven different strains that are involved in this outbreak. And, um, awesome. I don't, seven strains. That's great. Some of them, some of them, from last year and the year before, like I think Hadar was one of them, and uh, yeah. you know, Indiana was them, and yeah. um, just the, there are seven different, yes. <laughs> so if you... How, if, how many... If there Go ahead, Bridget. That the salmonella, let's pretend it was salmonella Kentucky, because that's one that I'm familiar with and I worked with in, in my PhD. So there's lots of different kinds of uh, different substrains of salmonella Kentucky, and it's a very simple molecular test to see if they're the same, and you know it can be done. Then you go back to the company from whom they purchased those broiler chicks, and you know, test for it in the hatcher. They they have records as to which hatcher it came from and what egg yielded those chicks, and you can. You can test that incubator. You can test the burrito flock that yielded those chicks and see if it's the same yep. strain, or perhaps it's a it's a different substrain. Um, but I don't know if anybody is doing those kinds of trace backs. 
because yes, they, uh, we're gonna, you know, um, yes, they they may both be Salmonella Kentucky, but it's kind of the same substrain. It might come in from a different source. Yeah, but that's that's me and my internal molecular scientist, and you know, wanting to do tracebacks for confirmation. Yeah, they're doing the tracebacks, and and we I hope to hear back from Dr. Nichols uh, with the findings on uh, which hatcheries. Uh, last year, I think was the first year they didn't release hatchery names. Um, I kind of cha- I, I did I challenged the CDC on that, thinking it I think it's a, a part of the tool. For, for for education because I think it gives the consumer that that choice to say okay well if this one was infected this year I won't buy from them this year uh, maybe but I'll, I may buy from them next year but this year I, I just like with my dollars do you Peter Yep sure do just Absolutely. like when when. Uh, a peanut butter is is uh, uh, in, a, in a recall, then we name the peanut butter. Oftentimes, it's removed from the shelves. But at least we know to make the choice if we're going to buy it or not. And, and again, this year they may end up releasing the uh, uh, for, for whatever reason, and it could be so we can uh, uh, vote with our dollars on where we're going to spend our money. But I think at the end of the day, it's to maybe try to prevent more people from getting sick by saying, "Hey, don't buy from this hatchery." But again, their message is yes, any chick, whether it's from that named hatchery or not, has the potential to carry salmonella. So let's do these things to try to try to do what we can to, to prevent this. Totally understand that aspect of it. But um, I, I personally think that the hatcheries uh, should be named when, when they find out, especially if it's one of the hatcheries, which I'm going to name, that has been involved in this for at least the last six years um, and haven't been able to clean up their, their act. And um, that, that really what makes me get fuming. Um, and last year and, and then the year before, uh, with it, and and people, uh, you know, I, uh, Linda knows where her chicks came from. Um, I didn't have her name the hatchery. I know the name of the hatchery. I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from CDC if they release the names because it may be several um, hatcheries, or it could just be one or two. But so I don't, I don't want to name them at this but point. But Andy, one of the things I think we may be overlooking here is it's not necessarily the hatchery unless the hatchery is the owner and manager of the flock that is producing chicks that are infected. And I would some are, some aren't. so far back as to say, test the breeders and see if they're positive. If the breeders Correct. are not positive, but the chicks are leaving the hatchery positive, then name the hatchery. Exactly. But sometimes exactly. so, these hatcheries obtain chicks from flocks that they do not own and maintain. Absolutely correct, and, and I think they contract it out. Exactly. Sometimes, and, and I, sometimes, um, sometimes what they do as well is they own the breeding stock, but they don't own the facilities, just like some of the commercial uh, poultry operations. And um, I'm aware of the fact that not all of them own uh, all of the breeders either, and do what Bridget said: um, get just get eggs in from somebody, but they also go the other way, own the breeders, but don't own the facilities where the uh, the birds are, are raised and the eggs are laid. And then also in, in that context, um, I've been told um, by people on, on the inside that I know at some of these operations that they don't have the greatest control over what gets done and what doesn't get done. Um, you can direct somebody to do something, but if they fail to do it, what's the consequence? Uh, in a lot of um, 
in a lot of instances, you know, there, there isn't a ton of money in, in raising these birds for somebody else. Um, there's money, but it's not as as, uh, uh, as much as people might think. And raising poultry, as we all know, uh, especially if you're going to raise them for these kind of conditions where you're looking for egg production and everything else, it's it's an intense operation, whether it's at the uh, small level or at, or at the large level. It doesn't really matter. It's still the same thing. Somebody's got to be there, feed water, take care of them, clean up, uh, do rodent control, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And lots of times that stuff gets goes by the wayside. We saw that in the in the uh, um, the outbreak uh, in Iowa there with um, I forget the name of the farm, but with the, you know the, the, there was no controls uh, in place there. They would get contaminated feed was coming in. There were rodents coming in. There were birds coming into place. Um, and I dare say, you go to some of these places, you'll find the same thing going on. You're, you're Got to come from to somewhere. The salmonella outbreak at DeCoster. Yeah. Yeah, Jack DeCosta's uh, place. I couldn't remember the name of the uh, actual company itself. I know Jack DeCosta real well. Um, but they're, they're, they've been bought out anyhow, and that, you know, they're gone. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, so because we'll, we'll have a lot of folks listening now that have backyard chickens and, and, and want to know, okay, what, what, what do I need to do? So I think we all agree on the show today that um, I think at the end of the day we would all agree that running it, and Bridget, you may not disagree from what you said, but I think we would agree that it's probably not feasible for everybody that owns backyard chickens to go and swab and, and get them tested for salmonella. If they want to go the extra mile to have that peace of mind, great, but we know that the, um, so that would be number one question, do, do any of us uh, think that the backyarders should go and have them tested for salmonella? And two, I think we all agree from years past that the test is not always real reliable because they could be shedding it the day you test or, or, or not shedding it the day you test and then shed it two days later and you get a negative test back, but they are they do have it and they are shedding it. So uh, let's, let's start there and then I'll go to the next question because I, I really want our backyarders to get some, some value out of this on what maybe they should or shouldn't do and what's worth it to do or not do. So do, do you all agree as, as far as probably not worth for everybody well, to go out I'm and test gonna yourself? Say Andy, I'm going to say the reason why commercial industry tests regularly is because of what you just said. They pay, they go the extra mile and say, all right, we're doing this regular testing schedule so that we can catch any um, incidences of salmonella. And that's part of what you pay for when you buy a dozen eggs at the grocery store. Small flock owners, um, depending on where you are, may have a pretty pricey test or a long drive to get samples there, but if they want to test their birds, um, certain states have programs where they come do testing for you for free, like they do here in Delaware. Um, other tests for other types of salmonella, because remember there are several thousand different types, or several hundred different strains of salmonella. Some apply to poultry, some don't. Some apply to humans, some don't. And if some people just really want that peace of mind and they'd like to take some samples regularly, whether it's monthly or quarterly, they can do that. Uh, mm-hmm. But, right. yes, you could miss it um, if you're not Peter, testing regularly. Yeah. You, you would say well, that's probably I, not back your order? Well, I'm sorry, Andy, I, you I broke would, 
I just wanted to know if Peter, would he agree or disagree with that it's probably not realistic for the backyard or two? I mean, if they want to go to the extra mile, sure, uh, and just have that peace of mind. But uh, to just to, to put that on, hey, if you're going to have backyard chickens, you need to do this on a regular basis. Warranted or not warranted, Peter? I, I say it's not uh, um, not warranted in the backyard community simply because um, in states, uh, in, in most states, they have trouble just getting somebody to uh, to do the Salmonella pylorum test. And I'm not sure, uh, and Bridget, you might know this. If you don't, that's fine because I'm not sure I know either. But the Salmonella pylorum test in the past, very sensitive test, that much I know. Uh, it's really a screening test. Uh, but I would think that these other strains of salmonella, if they're present, um, would would at least trigger a false positive. No, um, not necessarily. No, it's antigen-specific. Let, let me ask you this, Peter, because I... Go ahead, Bridget. No, no, I, I did finish saying what I was going to say. Okay, um, so let me ask you this, because, Peter, we discussed this specifically. You you have seen, uh, at least in one state, I think it was two or three states, where, okay, all of this year, um, this poultry diagnostic lab uh, uh, had all of tested however many birds, and these are the top uh, five or the top seven or the top ten diseases we saw. And, and, and really, right. I'm not... Uh, because everybody says, oh, well, this is this is not really a huge deal. They look at the numbers, and, then, and that's why I had Linda on to say, yes, it can happen. But at the end of the day, because people always call me, oh, you're a fear monger or chicken whisperer. This is, they just want to take our backyard flocks. But I'm, I'm, I'm facts and science. Um, last year, mm-hmm. you had with us on the show that two or three different state poultry labs, uh, that's the most is name disease they saw and in the least and the salmonella was like what six or seven on the list uh if memory serves so it wasn't even like top one two and three it was maybe six i'm seven, looking at a list right now this this okay. is from 2013 i'll just read it off the top of the list top three diagnoses in chickens for 2013 merix ovarian or oviduct tumors fatty liver and or hemorrhagic syndrome and then other findings that were of significance Salpingitis, coccidiosis, lymphoid leukosis, and visceral gout. Not one mention of, of uh, you know, in any of the at least what top close to top ten there. Um, right. So I, I, you know, in a state where they're going to do it for you free, by all means. I mean, you know, knock yourself out. But in in states where uh, where they either won't run the test, uh, aren't interested in running the test, you know, it's going to be an, an uphill battle. Uh, if there's any um, uh, any great um, uh, reason why a person would have to, you know, drive any distance or pay any money, you can forget about it. I've been a, I've been a fan of of uh, uh, flock monitoring uh, for many many years, and uh, very few do it. Very few do it. There are people that talk about doing it, but I'm not so sure even some of those actually do it. Um, because it looks good when you're when you're behind a keyboard and you say, oh yeah, I do that. You know, I do that. It's because you just want to look good. In lots of cases, not all. Just, but I'm just putting it out there because I, I deal with it all the time. And uh, let's let's go back and, and look at one that's really important. I think Bridget may disagree, but I know it's important. Let's look at mycoplasma, MG. Mm-hmm. There's any reason why anybody shouldn't shouldn't? It's everywhere and anywhere. And the excuses I get from people is. Well, they're just going to get it again anyway, and 
No, but you're still medicating your your brains out, trying to control it and everything else, and you're selling chicks all over the place and spreading it, but nobody's willing to do anything about it. Most states mm-hmm. don't care. The only the only state I know of right this moment that really gives a rat's butt is uh, North Carolina, and that's because of the turkey population. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you're asking people in the backyard crowd, and, you know, look, I'm not trying to condemn all of them. I'm just speaking as seeing it for over 50 years of talking to people and asking people to do things and that they will not do because of the cost or the time-consuming part of it or just flat don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I see it all the time. So I don't think the testing for anything, uh, they do Palarm because it's required if they want to be part of that program or they want to show and things of that nature, okay? But I guarantee you that if, if they... Uh, if that regulation wasn't in place, they wouldn't test either because it's it's a pain in the neck. A lot of people don't like their birds get stuck. They bleed afterwards, some of them, not all of them. Um, so it's it's a can of worms at, at best from my perspective. You know, Bridget may look at it differently, but um, I think we see that too in, in, in other in, aspects. They'll, some people will some be willing. In some he's right. It, I would say that um, if you looked at the top ten diseases that show up at the diagnostic lab, that's for the people who took the time to go to the diagnostic lab. Mm -hmm. That does not, just like with humans, not everybody who gets sick with food poisoning goes to the hospital, gets a diagnosis. Same thing with um, small flock owners. Whether you're a backyard flock with five birds or maybe you have a small enterprise with a few hundred birds, you don't necessarily know a complete picture of what's going on in your region or in your state. Not everybody turns in their birds to find out why it's sick or why it died. But that's why we encourage people to use the diagnostic lab service so that we know if a problem does occur in the area and if the state should change what they're doing to meet the needs of the people. Yeah, I, 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 I never I never said they shouldn't. I never I all I said was that you're asking them to do something that I know for a fact the largest, greatest majority of them are not going to do. Um and I like I said before, uh, I've been a fan of it before, you know, some of you were even born. Um it's it's uh the only way you're gonna find out what's going on, I encourage people to do this all the time. If you can't get to the laboratory, then at least learn how to do a postmortem on your own bird. And if and if you're and people will, the next thing they say, well, I don't know what to look for. Fine, then take a bird that died, take a bird that's live that you consider healthy, euthanize that bird, and compare the two. That's the greatest start you can get. And then go from there. And a lot of extension professionals do occasionally incorporate how to do a necropsy into their extension programming. Um, you just have to look for it in your area, and if it hasn't been often in a while, ask for it. I mean, I, I sell we, I sell on my website, the, you know, the, and I'm not trying to sell it. I don't care one way or another, but um, I, I've recommended that to quite a few people, and those that have have purchased it and actually put it into play and used it, it's tremendous because it it's uh, it's got a bird in the middle of it all posted out with all the parts numbered and everything else. It's got a, a key so you can tell one's the heart, two's this, that, and the other. And then on the perimeter of it, it's got all the major poultry diseases, all in living color. So between that and what you see, you can at least have an idea. Is it going to, uh, 
you know, make you, uh, you know, a diagnostician. That's not the point. The point is to do something to help yourself uh, so that if whatever reason that bird had died and you can figure it out, it's a lot better to cut it off now than it is to wait till half of them are dead. Yeah, so. I think we can all agree, all three of us would agree that um, uh, we've all seen folks that they don't they have no problems spending money on the the fun things like the poop and the treats and the clothes and all this stuff. But when it comes to to maybe driving an hour to the diagnostic lab or paying for a vet visit, they they'll, they'll no, I can't afford that. But they just bought a two thousand dollar coupe. But that and th- there will always be folks like that, um, regardless. But I think also more importantly, all three of us would agree that. Um, uh, good file security practices can, I think, go a long way to try to prevent this. The number of people, all three of us, the number of times we see people post on these on these forums uh, of their chicken running around with a mouse in its beak and laugh and say, oh, this is great free protein for my birds, uh, because they just don't know that that can contribute to them having salmonella in and on their eggs. They just don't get it. And they just all lean back to, oh, Sure, you can't watch your birds 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sure, they may eat the occasional mouse, but to encourage that behavior, to lift over a rock while you're doing gardening and see a mouse, uh, 15 baby mice, and to say, come here, chickens, come eat these, it's irresponsible chicken keeping. Um, and and to, to laugh about this and say, oh, it's free protein, when you really could be just contributing to the salmonella risk to, to your birds. So the rodent control, keeping wild birds out of your backyard where your backyard flock is, no bird feeders, no bird baths, um, uh, all these things that we can do to help try to prevent this. Uh, Linda is a perfect example of that. Hey, we can try and do what what we can. And, and I guess there's always that, that small chance uh, of risk. But some people don't even do that. They just think, oh, I don't have to do anything. But I think all three of us, Dr. McRae and, and Peter, we would all agree that biosecurity is utmost important with our flock. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wrote it, wrote well, it, even 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 here, like I said, nobody comes here, uh, you know, to to our small flock, and I've I've said it, you know, numerous times that that they're all geriatric, um, you know, um, and I don't do anything for them, nothing, because it's not necessary. They're they're healthy. They get, uh, you know, all the food that they can eat and waste, all the clean water they can drink, all the space that they need, a clean uh, a coop to go in and out of whenever they feel like. I feel like a broken record. I've said this so many times, but. They don't need treats. They don't need all this other stuff, but they need people to just leave them alone. And um, when you start, you know, uh, these coop tours and all these other things, it's all fine. You know, like I said, how many times have I said this, Andy? It's fine until you run out in front of the bus one day. You beat the bus every day of your life until you didn't realize that the road had raised up a little bit. You trip and fall and the bus runs you over. And that's the same thing we're really talking about, same analogy. It, and, you know, eating the mice and, and, and doing all the other things, uh, it's all it's all fun and games till something happens. Yeah. And and Dr. McRae often says, "Hey, tomorrow is another day." And um, I, I have started <laughs> I've started using the analogy now uh, that uh, somebody making the statement, "I've kissed my chickens for ten years and I've never had a problem." is no different than, for example, a smoker saying, I've smoked for 10 years and I've never had a problem until the first day <laughs> until the first day of the 11th year and, and one's diagnosed with salmon diagnosed stage 4 cancer. There's no, there's no difference. That just, that just means you're lucky. That's all that means is, is that you've been lucky uh, at the end of the day. So, uh, again, it's In not my fair. Opinion, I think you're right. <laughs> I agree. It's not 
mongering. No one's trying to take your silly birds away from your backyard. We're not fear mongering. This is this educational. You need to know. You know, just like Linda said, I never really thought about it. And I've had chickens, and I just I would have never dreamed that my eight month old, who doesn't even handle the chickens, would get salmonella from my chickens. And so uh, again, looking at that 350 people, oh, the number's low, but it could be closer to. 9,000, but um, hey, I know, uh, Peter, you got to run, and I don't want to keep y'all on for forever, but I'm going to give y'all really the last word, so we'll go over to uh, Dr. McCray first. Uh, any Anything that you feel like these, uh, and you know our clientele, the, the backyard people really need to know about this, or one important thing they should do, or just something to put some seriousness to this, so it's not just shrug your shoulders and say, ah, it'll never happen to me. Well, as you mentioned, Ann, the story's still going to evolve. We're, we've got a little bit more information that will hopefully be shared with us. So we can share it with your listeners. Um, and it's, salmonella is a pretty skilled bacteria. you got to show it some respect. It's not going to go away. Uh, use good common sense. Try to keep it clean. Um, and maybe the next time you hear people talking about um, you know, safety or food safety information and keeping things clean in the kitchen, you'll just kind of translate that, you know, what you hear every day or what you learn from your mom to what you know about doing with your chickens in the coop and realize that bacteria are pretty skilled and can find a way into their new host and will always try to do so. So, you should remain diligent on your end so that they don't find a host in you. I think that's very well said, to be honest with you. And and I bring one thing to mind. You know, when a surgeon goes into surgery, okay, uh, there's a reason that they wash their hands like they do with a scrub brush. And that's because some of these bacteria are kind of clingy. And sometimes just a quick rinse under the faucet with uh, no soap and just warm water or just cold water or just rinsing your hands uh, doesn't always do the trick. And it's, it's always, it's always the little thing that didn't get done or something that somebody didn't know. I don't think anybody has to be dirty, filthy in order to get this stuff, as uh, indicated by the uh, lady that was on earlier, Okay. And I, I agreed with some, you know, the things that she was saying. You know, she doesn't consider herself a dirty person. Sure, nobody's saying that. But it's that little mistake that you make that makes all the difference in the world. So if you follow a particular protocol, I'm a hand washer, okay? I'm an annoying hand washer because I wash my hands constantly. It's just me. I've been doing it since I'm a child, okay? And um, even I've had people say to me, what do you wash your hands like that for? Because... I do. And hot water, plenty of soap, and more hot water. And those those are the beginning things. It's not the, the, the end all. And the same thing goes for, you know, if you're handling chicken in, in, the, uh, in the kitchen and, uh, you know, your, your telephone rings, I guarantee you most people pick it up without washing their hands and not think twice about it afterward. Go right back to cleaning the chicken, doing whatever they were doing, and not even realize that if there were any bacteria on that chicken, you just spread it around a little bit. It might not be harmful this time, but it may be harmful the next time. So, 
Yep, tomorrow's another day. Well, Peter Brown, um, also known as the Chicken Doctor, 50-plus years experience, founder and owner of First State Vet Supply, uh, dot com. Visit that website, and uh, hey, if you don't have it, you don't need it regarding your chicken care. And then um, ultra scientist and professor Dr. Richard McRae, both of them come on the show and have for years, and they're regular guests, and you'll look them up uh, when they come on the show, and uh, you can tune in and get and, and benefit from all of their awesome knowledge. So, uh, Peter and Bridget, thank you very much for coming on today. We do appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good one, Andy. I will. Thank you so much. We'll be back right after this short break. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The 1.5 horsepower motor and 20-inch stainless steel tub can handle two 8-pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance-free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Wear Manufacturing. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. 
want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Alrighty, thanks for staying with us today on Backyard Friends over at Calm Bach Feeds. And um, uh, what a great show, and um, I'm so glad we have a great uh, team here uh, at Chicken Whisper Incorporated that we can reach out to these folks and they're more than willing to come on the show and educate. Uh, again, I, I do take a lot of heat on these blogs and forums uh, because I spread science-based, fact-based, study-based information and uh, people don't like to hear that they're wrong. People don't like to hear that the way they're doing things may have risks. They don't like to uh, hear that what they're doing may be wrong or that there's a better way. You know, we're humans. I don't like that. You don't like that. I get that. But it's not going to change what I'm doing. Send all the heat my way. I've got a thick skin. No worries. Okay? Um, I'm still going to be doing this tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. This is not my first radio. I've been broadcasting this show for eight years now, over a 1,000 episodes. The magazine's in its third year. Um, the spokesperson role with USDA, we're in the six years with that. I'm not going anywhere. You can either like it or not. Um, but I, but you can rest assured at the end of the day, after you go to these blogs and forums and get opinions and get hearsay and get wives' tales and, and, and get quackery and um, get cute pictures of chickens and all these little things, at the end of the day, and, and, and we see this, we get emails from this uh, from people, at the end of the day, after they get all the cutesy and the whimsical and the opinions and all that, uh, they do regardless uh, of what you want to think, they come back to uh, the Chicken Whisperer brand, whether it be the magazine or the book and the upcoming new book uh, or the podcast or the Facebook page because they know that the information is science-based, fact-based, study-based information. Yes, there's more than one right way to raise backyard chickens. I'm not going to argue that point, but I will also say factually that there are a lot of wrong ways to raise backyard chickens. And when I post something, uh, because of the huge fan base and how you know, there's so many different people in the population, I'll post something and there's going to be some people that it's either not their way or they don't do it that way or to contradict their way or whatever the case may be, they're going to get up in arms because we're humans. We don't like to be proven wrong. or we don't. You know, people want to have that pat on the back. Oh, you're doing it right. You're the man. And when they don't get that, they get all offended and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, Okay, I'm not worried. That's not why I do this. Um, if I have a thousand fans, 
are over 200,000 fans. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. And the numbers show that just this week, over 500 new fans to our Facebook page. Sure, I lost a few because, oh, that they, they lost some birds to a predator attack, and we, we called them out on that. Okay? If you're going to free-range your birds, they expect some dead birds from predators. You know, that's, that's fact. That's science. It's going to happen. doesn't mean you're doing it wrong or bad, but don't have a coop that offers no protection and then get on Facebook and cry about it and say, oh, lost birds, oh, my gosh, does anybody have any more birds I can have? Uh, I would be like, no, I'm not going to give you any of my birds so you can lose them to more predators until you fix the problem. Spend the money, do the research to have that predator-proof pin, run, coop, so it doesn't happen again. Um, so, so that's where we're coming from. It's all about education, science-based, fact-based, study-based information. I'm not going to coddle you online. I'm not going to, oh, yeah, it's so – no, I'm going to give you the right information. You can take it or leave it. What you do with it is your uh, – you can do with it what you wish. Okay, take it or leave it. But it's not going to change what I'm doing. You can badmouth me. You can call me a fear monger. You can whatever you want to say. I've been doing this a long time, um, and um, I'm going to keep doing it. So you can either continue to like our page and get benefit out of what we share or unlike the page and go and look at uh, cute pictures of chickens and, and uh, learn about coffee and um, you know uh, get wives' tales and rumors and speculation and opinion. Uh, but at the end of the day, we see it. We get the emails. <laughs> we see it happening. Uh, we see the numbers increase. The subscriptions go up. Uh, the, the book sales, we know it's working. We know people at the end of the day are coming back to get the right information. So that's what we're all about here. We broadcast twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We also have uh, the Factor Chicken Poop website. There will soon be a book. I signed the contract this week, Factor Chicken Poop, uh, where we take statements on blogs and forums and send it to the experts out there around the country at these poultry science, science universities. Uh, is there any proof to back this up? Uh, in most cases so far, no. So uh, that, that's a great avenue for you. The magazine, you can subscribe to the magazine for free because we want this good information out there into the hands that need it most, you. Okay? If you want a print subscription, that's great. It's 10 bucks a year. I'll mail it right to your mailbox, and thousands of you do that. But many tens of thousands subscribe to the digital edition, which is free, chickenwhisperermagazine.com, free. And uh, you won't see any bloggers writing for my magazine. Don't do it. You know, look at the other chicken magazines. Look at my magazine. See who's writing for the magazines. Somebody who's kept chickens for two years or someone who's kept chickens for a decade or decades and actually have uh, credentials, poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians, um, poultry professors, um, you know, doctor, veterinarians with USDA and other places that have studies to back up what they share, Auburn University. So um, that's what we're all about. Take it or leave it. Thank you very much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Palm Bach Feeds. God bless everybody.